Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace, O Lord. Lord, I pray that you will anoint the words, O Master, and reveal your truths, O Master, to your people. And Father, let us be edified and let us grow both in word, in authority, and in power. For your word brings revelation and your revelations brings authority and power, O Master. And Father, let it be manifest both here today and in the days to come. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. So what we said was today we will start the message and we will get a little bit of a foundation, get a basis. I think this is going to be a very foundational word. I mean, most of the word is foundational. <laughs> so this is funny, but uh, you can never exhaust God's word in terms of his revelation to, about the Lord Jesus Christ and everything becomes a foundation for the next step. But I believe this is pretty powerful. Um, so the title of the message is, where are those accusers of yours? Just remember that. That's a question that Jesus Christ asks you. Where are those accusers of yours? So I'm going to focus on three chapters. And I want you to remember that. It's very easy to remember. It's going to be Psalms 149. Okay. John chapter 8. Revelations 12. And you'll see how, how seamless and beautiful the truth of the of God's word is across the New and the Old Testament. So three chapters. So what are the three chapters? Psalms 149, John chapter 8, Revelation 12. Okay? So Revelation 12 is, you know, written after the Gospels, right? So it's like three different books, but all consistent to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see something very powerful because the whole goal of the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is to get rid of this problem called accuser. Remember the first question of God to man and his wife when after they had sinned was what? Where are you? Where are you? Next question. So where are you? Right? So they, they said that, hey, we, we ate of the fruit, we, 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 we are naked. See, they didn't say that we ate of the fruit. They said we are naked and we hid from you. So then the next question of God to, an Adam, to man and woman who had just sinned and had fallen was what? Who told you? So it was not the question that, did you actually eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil? not looking at your problem, he was looking at who is accusing you, right? I mean, that would not, if today's world, it would be a question of, I don't care who is accusing you, but did you do it? But in God's eyes, the bigger problem was not whether you did it, but the bigger problem was who told you? That's very interesting. Look at the heart of God. The heart of God is to solve the problem of accusation. And that is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is not necessarily to take care of sin, which it is. But the problem is what sin causes. The effect of sin is the accusation that comes against you, that causes you to live a defeated life throughout your life. And that's the, that's the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for that, he had to go through a crazy amount of process. He, he could not just kill Satan and solve the problem. Because what would still remain? 
the accusation would still remain, right? Because that will just affirm the accusation that you are a God who overlooks justice. Amazing, right? I mean, that will just point, yeah, I told you, you can kill me, but this proves that you don't care for justice. And that's the heart of the gospel. How does God take care of the justice problem in your life when you have sin in your life? And how does he do it legally? So where are those accusations? Now let's go to Psalms 149. Psalms 149. So we'll, we'll do this fast. If you cooperate, we'll do it fast. Uh, Psalms 149. Let's go to this. Okay. Just look. At, let's read Psalms 149, the whole thing. Praise the Lord. Last four Psalms in the book of Psalms is the praise the Lord Psalms. Say praise the Lord. Praise and who is this Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. Never, not revealed in the old, but revealed in the new. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? So now they are praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. So it's not a law song that they sang when they were under the law. It's a new song. Something happened for them to sing this new song. This new song shows up in Revelation. Do you know that? They sang a new song. It's a new song that happened after God, Jesus Christ had died and raised us up. It's a new song. Say a new song. So that's a song that the church would sing. The Israel couldn't sing this song. Because for Israel that, that sacrifice was not made available. They looked forward to it. But they couldn't sing the song. They couldn't sing that they are righteous. They couldn't sing that their sins are forgiven. Are being put away. They could only say that their sins were covered. But never put away. They could not say that they have entered the land of rest. Because Hebrews says they looked forward to the land of rest. But they could never enter it. Abraham looked to the day who could never enter in. So who are this bunch of people who can sing this new song? We, the church, you can sing this new song. So this is your song. Say my song. My song. This is your song, right? Now let's look at it. So sing to the song, uh, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. What's the word assembly of the saints? Ecclesia is the church. <laughs> so the, the psalmist is prophesying a time where everybody is going to be a saint and they're going to meet together and they will be called an assembly of saints. He's talking about the church. So we're going to praise him today in this assembly. That's why we wanted to take the Bible study first so we can do something that what this, the psalmist is telling us to do towards the end. Okay, let's look at it. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. So that is what Israel, we are the Israel of God. Uh, Romans says that, correct? But Israel also can praise their maker. But look at the next verse. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Children of Zion is a picture of, Zion is a picture of the church, correct? The children of Zion is joyful in what? In what they did or they are joyful in their king? In their king, because their king is in their midst. That's what we are called the kingdom of God. Did you notice that? The only way you can enter the kingdom of God is by acknowledging the, the king. <laughs> it's funny. You want to enter, like I, I was telling my, um, my children the other day, and I was like, we, we took the same session. We taught them the same thing. And I said, if you want to enter United Kingdom, what, what do you have to do? You have to acknowledge the queen. In fact, the moment you enter UK, every visa, every passport, every notice is always what? By appointment to the queen. But have you ever been to UK? How many of you have been to UK? 
I mean, you, you see appointment to the queen, by queen, by queen, by queen, written everywhere. Because you cannot enter UK, it's called United Kingdom. Because it's a kingdom. And you cannot enter UK by not acknowledging the king, in this case the queen. But that's the whole positive. The kingdom of God that you are part of has a king there. Correct? And he is called Melech, Melchizedek. Means what? King of what? King of righteousness. So everybody in this kingdom is what? Righteous. Okay. <laughs> you can be not be the king of slum and everybody be rich in that kingdom. The fact that you're a king of something means that kingdom is full of that. So you are full of righteousness because your king is called, king has a name, and his king is called Melech. Melech means king. Melchizedek. Zedek means righteousness. He's called the king of righteousness. Amen? So Jesus is the king of righteousness, but his people are joyful in their king. Look at the next verse. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the humble with salvation. I'm telling you, how does you and I operate in the church right now? We, if you want to be delivered out of any situation, what is the qualification here? Be humble. How, how difficult or tough, easy it is. I mean, it's easy to be humble. It's, it, humble means what? Hey, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. That's humility. Humility means I cast my care on you. That's humility. It's not very complicated. Humility is not a very complicated word. It all means that I can't do it. That's all. That, so God says, you know what? I'm going to deliver him because he's humble, because he's willing to submit to me as a king. And in submit, not in terms of doing what I'm telling him to do, he's quick, he quickly gives up. <laughs> He doesn't wait too long to give up. A lot of believers wait too long to be humble. They do end up becoming humble, but by not willingly, by forcefully, because they finally cry out and say what? I can't do it. Which is good. That's good. That's what I'm here for. I'm the king. Correct? I'm the king. Okay. Okay. Now, these are the verses that I want you to focus on and underline in your Bible. Verse 5. Let... The saints be joyful in glory. Why are the saints joyful? They are joyful in glory. Whose glory? No. They are not joyful that God is glorious. They are joyful that they are glorious. See, what God has done because of what Jesus has done is... He has given the glory that he had. He gave it to you. John chapter 17. The glory that I have, I have given them. Jesus is talking to his father. Glory means perfect righteousness. See, the word glory, and we've talked about it in the past in our life team. Glory is perfect righteousness. The saints are rejoicing because they are, they are perfectly righteous. So, see, I'm telling you, you cannot be joyful if you do not believe in your heart of hearts that you are righteous. For you to know, you, you, you can speak the right words as a believer. You can say the right things, but you, are ne you can never fake joy. Can you fake joy? You cannot fake joy. For you to be totally joyful, what, what should you know internally? 
settled in your heart once for all. You're righteous. You have the same glory that God has. And it's a gift. And you're, therefore you're like, when you go to sleep, you're like joyful about the fact that you're righteous. I'm telling you, this is going to be very crucial because this is how you get your victories. The victories in this kingdom is way different the way they would get the victories before Jesus went to the cross. The way you become is you're joyful in glory. You're like, I don't care what my boss says. I can do no wrong. I don't care what my spouse says. I can do no wrong. I can do not say what the world says. I can do no wrong because I'm joyful in the fact that I'm righteous forever. You get that picture? Now, if you, are, if you don't have that joy, what should you do? Correct. You can't get the joy. See, the problem is you cannot force your soul to become joyful. Your soul will become joyful. When will it become joyful? Anil? When you realize it. When you realize it. You need to have what? Knowledge. You need to meditate on the fact that you are righteous. You need to meditate and meditate and meditate till you come to a point where you say, yes. You know what? I am righteous. Then what happened? Joy just automatically starts flowing because your soul will just line up with the truth. You don't have to tell your joy, oh, oh, become joyful, become joyful. I need to laugh today, you know? So you can't. With the heart, Romans chapter 10. Remember the two-factor authentication key of Romans chapter 10? <laughs> if you want to be saved in the kingdom, there is a two-factor authentication key. The number one is, with the heart, one believes that you are righteous. Look at the word, same word. And with the mouth, you confess to salvation. You cannot just do one thing and be saved. You need to do both. Now you'll say, but that's how I got saved into the kingdom. It never says it's only applicable for becoming born again. This word salvation applies for every area of your life. Like for example, if you have a sick, if you have a sickness problem, so you have to do this two-factor authentication key. You'll have to first believe in your heart that you are righteous. Therefore, sickness and disease cannot come on me. Why should sickness and disease not come on you? What has righteousness got to do with sickness and disease? Correct. What is sickness and disease anyway? Punishment. Punishment. For being disobedient to the works of the law. Correct? So, death, sickness, disease, lack, poverty, famine, desolation, all the four horsemen of revelation is a result of the works of the law. That means you broke the law and this will come upon you. But if you know you're righteous, Anil, what would be the takeaway from that? That you have, you are, you're having a sickness problem right now. But you believe you're righteous in your heart. So can sickness has, cannot have a basis for it. Correct? In my life. So you believe that. Do you believe it? So that's what so I'm saying is for every area of your life, you need to believe with your heart that you are righteous. And this applies across the board. And then what is the next thing you have to do? Confess, Confess what? You, so you speak what you want. You speak the fact that sickness cannot stay on me. So I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. You have to open and speak what you believe in your heart. You got it? So you always do these two things in any area of your life. And you go back and check it. The area of your life that in where you lack the biggest challenges in overcoming is because one of these factors are missing. So you say, but uh, man, this password file doesn't open. Did you try both? Well, I, I did enter the password. 
But what about the, the text that came to your phone? Oh, I don't care for that. That is, that is just fake news. That's, some, that's, that's a cult who believes that, that they need the second factor. Oh, seriously? Okay. So what happens? You can never enjoy. You cannot access that salvation that Jesus has promised. Got it? Okay, so that's why the first word out of it is, let the saints be joyful in what? Glory. glory. You got it? You have to be joyful in glory before the next steps happen. So what is the next step? Let them sing. So are they speaking now? Yes. yes. So they're singing aloud where? On their beds? So you can win your victories by lying on the bed? While before you had to work and struggle and make all your efforts. But here, the ways of the kingdom are way different. The ways of the kingdom is, you all guys be joyful in the fact that you are righteous. And sing aloud on your beds. <laughs> I think some of you are going to change habits on your beds now. Don't get separate rooms, okay? Please sleep together. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying is, sing. Sing aloud on your beds. Speak it out. Second, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What is the two-edged sword? The word of God. Do you realize, though the word hand shows up, in the New Testament, Paul explains that the two-edged sword is what? The word of God. How, how do I know it? I want you to read this. Go to... I think Hebrews chapter 4. Can you go to Hebrews chapter 4? Let's go to that quickly. Hebrews chapter 4. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12. Correct? Let's look at... Uh, let's, let's look at... Uh, I, you know, how many of you have read this? Okay. Let me read the verse and then I will, then I will try to make... Uh, clarify something. This is very powerful. For the word of God is living and powerful... And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of sword and spirit, and, a, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, for all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. For the word of God is a living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There you go. So what is the word of God? It's living. It is powerful. And it is sharp. Correct? Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Now this is Jesus. Revelation chapter 1. Look at this is Jesus' picture. The first appearance of Jesus. Look at Revelation chapter 1. And look at verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. You heard that? So where did the two-edged sword come out of Jesus? Out of his mouth. So means what? What is that two-edged sword? The word. the word. It's the word of Jesus Christ. Correct? So the word of Jesus. Remember last time's message was hearing the words of Christ. Not God. Christos. The words of Christ is what brings faith. So the words of Christ. So Jesus' words is a two-edged sword. Yes or no? Okay, Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Which word is this? 
Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore since a, a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any one of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not mixed with faith to those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. So that word that Israel did not believe was the word of what? He calls it the gospel. But what is that word? The word of rest. The word of rest. Okay, look at me. Repeat after me. Word, word. Of, of rest, rest. is a two-edged sword. It's sharper, living, and powerful. So the word, now, now let's connect it. We always heard that the word of God is sharper, two-edged sword. But what word? It's very important to know which word. In fact, Paul is saying, do not, do not ignore this word. This word is very powerful. It means what? Whether you, whether you believe it or not, it will work. It will, don't fall on the wrong side of the sword, is what he's saying. What is the sword? What word is this? <laughs> Do you believe that it is the word of rest? So what he's saying is, Israel was told, get into this word, enter my rest. By, how do you enter my rest? By resting and by believing and by having faith. That means believe that I will get you into this land and give you the houses that you did not build, wells that you did not dug, the fields that you never cultivated. I'll give you all this prosperity. I'll give you all this health. I'll give you all this strength. All you have to do is what? Believe. So they have to mix it with believe. Faith is just believing the word of rest. Oh wow, that's a good word that you can remember. Faith is believing the word of rest. You say, I have brother, I have faith. <laughs> what faith? Faith in what? I have faith in this, I have faith... Do you have faith in the word of rest? God calls that, Jesus calls that the gospel. Did you know the gospel was preached to Israel? I thought the gospel was only preached after Jesus died and rose up from the dead. But this says that this word of rest was the good news. Hallelujah. Do you get this picture? This, this two-edged sword in your hand is the word of rest. He says, be careful to believe it. Because if you don't believe it, doesn't matter. It will work. It is living. It will do what it's supposed to do. But you will be on the wrong side of that word. What it says is, you cannot enter into this place without believing. Correct? So that's the word. But if you say, no, I will try my best. With my efforts, with my qualifications, with my to-do list, with my vows, with my commitments, with my... Keep giving me someone. Guys, give me something. With my family background, with my strength, with my... Perseverance. Huh? Perseverance, with my patience, because I've been very faithful, because I've been very diligent. With all this, I, I'm going to make it. I, I'm watch it. I'm going to make it. So what are you doing? You are not believing the word of rest. So what happens? The, so will the word of rest just be just go void because you did not believe it? No. 
it's going to work because the word of rest says you cannot enter this place except through belief so the word is now working for you or against you it's working against you because it is telling you that you cannot enter in with your works so if that's also the part of the word of rest the word of rest says you can only enter in resting you can only enter in seated you can only re- enter in believing so you have to do that you have to so it is working against you if you don't do what it's telling you to do because you're going to keep trying it and you're never going to enter israel exactly what happened they just couldn't enter but we have entered in say i have entered in but having entered in in every area of your life you have to experience the victory in that specific area you are now in jerusalem you are in this free city but you are stumbling on every gold block that's on the floor i mean you're just stumbling on every victory that christ has purchased because you are not believing it you got it so okay let's go back let's go back to psalms 149 so just give you a picture of what is the two edged sword so they have what in their heart they are joyful in their hearts because they are righteous they sing loudly with their mouth and they have the two edged sword in their hand which is the word of rest so they speak it loud say i speak it loud so you speak this two edged sword loud you have to speak it you cannot say but i believe it brother i believe it but the kingdom says you have to speak it you have to put like even jesus two edged sword is not in his hand where is it in his mouth we just showed jesus jesus just showed up see jesus if you really want to see jesus the only physical description of jesus in the gospels does not exist <laughs> where does it exist why is why, why why would none of the authors describe jesus physically i mean is it a accident or is it intentional it's intentional because god wanted jesus to be revealed through the word through the resurrected christ not the natural christ who is born from god when he was resurrected he was born not of joseph he was not born not of mary he was born from god exactly like you were born of like i last time we talked there's a message called born of god like john today i've begotten you that's when your birth your you you look the same just like you were born of your parents but that john died the john that i see right now is a john that is born directly from god you are not even from the earth you just rent that body of that old john you know and and that that's the thing but you're just renting a body but the you the one that i'm talking to a speaking spirit that's born directly from god that's why god is your father because you're born of god amazing right so now that's the revelation that you need to have that you are no longer born from down you're born from above okay okay now look at it so so they are joyful so the saints are joyful in glory they sing aloud in their beds with the high praises of god in their mouth and a two edged sword in their hand what is the purpose so let's start reading the two there are four twos to it two execute vengeance on the nations while being on your bed yep yep so look at the power totally hidden right the church doesn't know this 
But this is how you win your victories right now. You win your victories on your bed. To execute vengeance on the nations, number one. Two, and punishments on the peoples. Three, to bind their kings with chains. Four, to execute to, and their nobles with fetters of iron. Five, to execute on them the written judgment. Wow, five things. So this sounds like a demonic hierarchical kingdom if you look behind the veil, correct? It's like kings, powers, rulers in high places. But you have authority now over them. How do you exercise authority over them? You're joyful in glory and you praise the Lord and you speak the word of rest. You get this power? Now you can bind principalities, powers and bind them into chains and they have no authority over you. This is what they were doing for, for 2,000 years and beyond while you were being held captive. That's what they were doing. Now the, the tables are flipped while now you are resting and they are fleeing. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and evil. Why is he afraid of you? What is he afraid? Hold on. What is he afraid of you? He's afraid that you will speak he's afraid of the two-edged sword that comes out of your mouth he flees from you why was he not afraid before why is he afraid now okay why 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 was why is satan afraid now but not before correct because they were not righteous themselves you were afraid because you were a sinner you are not righteous because the joyful in glory is an essential component of speaking. You see the picture? See, you cannot pretend to speak without not being confident in that you are righteous perfectly. And your righteousness is a gift. So you can only, so he knows, he can smell. He can smell unbelief in you. Unbelief about what? Unbelief that you are not confident about your own righteousness. <laughs> he can smell it. You go around these dogs. Dogs can smell fear. And they, 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 they react totally differently with somebody who is not afraid and the someone who is, a, who is afraid. They immediately sense fear. Animals sense fear. Right? They sense it. They can smell it. They can smell it. If you don't believe it, watch YouTube videos. I mean, people go to safaris and all. Man, these guys, this huge wild elephant just comes raging at the jeep. And all this guy, is he takes a small stick. I mean, the, the guy can just trample this guy out, but he's like, why? Because he doesn't smell any fear. Go, 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 go. And this guy comes all the way raging and just screeches and stops. And just kind of looks away. And he's, even while he's going, he's looking whether he still has any fear. Because that he can smell fear. Satan and his kingdom smells your confidence about your righteousness. And so, so you're always joyful. You don't care. And you execute. And so he's afraid of you. So you execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the people, bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of lion to execute on them the written judgment. See, it's not a new judgment. What is the written judgment? What was the written judgment? The laws of God. 
See, the law of God was written. So anybody who breaks the law is judged. So when you execute judgment, you are, you are not executing judgment. You are executing the written judgment. That means you are declaring that that guy is a transgressor of the law. Jesus was very clear. He said, and he talks about, we'll go to John chapter 8, which is a very powerful chapter. John chapter 8, he says, Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. That means even before man was created, Satan was called a murderer. Let me ask you a question. Who did Satan murder? He destroyed creation. But then you don't call somebody murderer if you kill, kill an animal. But, but he was a murderer from the beginning. Not, that means even before man was created, he was a murderer. So I, so I was asking this. The Holy Spirit said, go back to Revelation chapter 12 and we'll go there. And you'll see how Satan murdered. So what, what do you call, how do you define murder? You're killing an innocent, correct? You kill somebody, right? So do they cease to exist or do they change location? So basically, when you change location of an innocent, you become a murderer. Think about it. When you kill somebody, doesn't mean that they cease to exist. What are you doing to them? <laughs> Move them faster from one level to another. Yeah, you're just moving location, correct? You're moving them from their current location to their to their, not necessarily eternal, to their, the next location, correct? Based on their righteousness, yes or no? So you change location and you're called a murderer. Did Satan change location of a bunch of spiritual beings? Yes! He brought them out from light into darkness. And God calls him a what? Murderer. And then in the same chapter in John chapter 8, he says he's a liar and the father of it. In there, there is no truth. So he's now broken the commandment of murderer. Now he breaks the commandment of being a liar. Correct? Yes or no? So who breaks the law first? Satan. Yet he is able to accuse you. How? So, so let me ask you, this is, this is judicial question, because these are, these are hard questions. This is how, why you realize that how is he able to accuse still, even though he is a transgressor of the law, correct? Let me ask you a question. If you, you live next to a neighbor, and the neighbor is a felon, but you kill his daughter, can this felon show up in court against you? Yes! Because he has a basis to enter that court. Against you, what is the basis? No. Because, because of whose iniquity he has a basis? Correct? So it doesn't matter what uh, his basis, he is a felon, but he still has a basis to show up before the judge against somebody who has done a crime, correct? So your iniquity has provided a basis for Satan to show up in court. And that's huge for you to know. See, therefore God couldn't just kill him and solve the sin problem. He had to take care of what? 
He had to take care of the sin itself. And that's the core of this. So, so now he says the saints execute the written judgment. Why are the saints for the first time able to execute the written judgment? Because they are righteous themselves. You see, you can only execute the written judgment. The written judgment against whom? Against Satan and his kingdom that he is a transgressor of the law. That is the reason he flees from you. See, remember, you are the good guy right now. He is afraid, deadly afraid of you. But he's only afraid if you know your authority. And your authority stems from the fact, number one, that you are righteous. See, that's the heart, that's the basis of how you can execute judgment. And they execute the written judgment. You get the picture? Okay. And he says, this honor have all the saints. This is so beautiful. This honor, which honor? To execute the written judgment has all the saints. Means what? From the least to the greatest. To your little children, to the oldest saint. Everybody can execute judgment. Isn't that good? That's when, when Jesus sent out the 70 and said, cast out demons, raise the dead. And they came back and with one thing. What was their biggest boast? All those things happened. No, uh, no. They came back saying what? Oh, even the demons are raised. Even the, <laughs> they, they didn't focus on the fact that the dead are raised, the gospel is preached, nothing. They are focused on what? Demons. demons. For, man, they are like, for the first time in 4,000 years, we have authority over demons. For them, that was news. And Jesus says what? I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't even worry about him. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That means rejoice that you are righteous. See, once you know you are righteous, you can rejoice. And once you rejoice, you can execute the written judgment on any demon. You don't have to go through spiritual warfare training seminars. What's your name? How many demons are there? What's the color? Who cares? Get them out. Because they execute the written judgment. Nikal, I, I break into Hindi. Nikal jao yaan se. You know, like, they get out of the here. Right now. Because you're executing judgment. You get him out. Because he has no basis to be in, the, in your presence. Because you are in the holy of holies. Right? That's very powerful. Very, very powerful. This honor have all the saints. So this is your honor. So when you face any situation in your life, when he comes with an accusation or he brings an appearance of judgment, remember judgments cannot sit on you, Julie? Why can't judgment sit on you? Because you're righteous. <laughs> Everything is coming, coming to that heart of the whole thing. Because he can only use the curses of the law against you. You know COVID is in the Bible? Yeah. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 29. It says, even the, the, uh, the diseases and sicknesses that are not written in the book of the law, I shall bring upon you and destroy you. Included. He says, because everything flows from the law. Everything flows from the law. 
He says, I'm going to bring, I'm going to destroy you. Because he says, my righteous anger is against you breaking my law. And that's so he uses that constantly. Okay, now let's go to John chapter 8, quickly. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And this, you'll see this, this passage completely differently after today. I'm going to read it. Now, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Good thing or bad thing? Good thing. So, Jesus comes into the temple and all his people come together and they come and he begins to teach them. Good thing? Right. Look at what happens. This is exactly what happens in the spiritual realm. This is exactly what happens in heaven. Right? It used to happen. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something by which to accuse him. So here is God in the temple. Jesus Christ is God, correct? It's his temple. He's in the temple. He's teaching his people. Who shows up? The accuser. So what is the accuser trying to bring in? What does he use to bring an accusation? The law. And what is he seeking to do with this? He wants God to pass judgment on the sinner. Yes or no? Correct. Listen, watch this. Every word in this passage is critical. Then they say they also wanted to accuse him. <laughs> they wanted to accuse God. Of what? In what way? If he showed mercy to her, he would say what? You are not following what aspect of the law? The justice of God. See, the mercy of God will now cause God to be unjust. See, so two people are being accused right now here. Who are the two people? The lady that's you, right? And then? And God. So God has a problem. He wants to show mercy. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be prosperous. But he cannot do it unjustly. He has to do it justly. Because otherwise he will be foul of his own law of being justice. And that's what Satan does. That's the reason when, let's go to Job chapter. Let's go to quickly. Let's go to Job chapter. Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Did you see that? There's a classic picture. The sons of God come before God. Satan also comes. Why is Satan coming? To accuse Job. Because Job's sin problem has not been 
taken care of. God is showing mercy to Job and Satan is saying, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, ee You know, he's like, no, 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 that's not fair. No, no, you, you cannot do that. So God can, could not handle it. So he had to say, okay, he's in your hands because the sin problem has not been taken care. But he kept putting limits on him. Don't touch his body. You know, don't do this, don't do that. But the sin problem has not been taken care of. So he had rightful access into God's presence. Yes or no? Not because he is not a transgressor himself, but because Job is a transgressor. Amen? Okay. So, so then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You see? Satan goes in, goes out from the presence of the Lord. Very important. He has access into the presence of the Lord to accuse. His primary goal to show up before God is to do what? To accuse. He's going to both accuse you and he also wants to accuse God. Classic checkmate situation. He's perfected it. He's played this repeatedly for day after day, night after day. Like... You know, sometimes I look for an investment strategy in my stocks and I'm like, man, I just want a way I can repeat it and always make money. (laughs) Just give me a repeatable thing, just a constant repeatable. And I just want to figure that out. I'm yet to find it out, by the way. (laughs) So so it's like, he's he's found it. Satan found it. He's like, I I know what works. What works? What what, what works? The law (laughs) always works. He always uses God's law. The law was the biggest. So the Bible says the enmity is the law of God. In fact, it is written very clearly. The, your enmity is the law. And Jesus abolished the enmity, which was the law of God. But doing it justly by fulfilling it and paying the price. Amen? Huge, huge. Okay, let's go back to John chapter 8. So, so when they... okay. But Jesus, now while they are accusing him, what did Jesus do? Now this is huge. Now Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. What is this? This is God, Jesus coming down on Mount Sinai and writing the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Because he saying, you are trying to accuse my church, my people, without you being cognizant about your own sin. So Israel, the world, all had a sense of self-righteousness. You know what? I'm a, and you hear that all throughout the world. All throughout the world, you hear this classic thing. I am basically a good guy. guy. (laughs) I am basically a nice guy. Even the murderer's mother will say what? He is basically a Good guy. He's raped um, uh, six women. He's killed 60 more. But he's basically a... He's a good guy. Because there is no sense that you have broken the law. So God showed up on Mount Sinai for the first time because he wanted people to do what? To say, I give up. I cannot be righteous on my own help. I need help but they would not cry out for help 
So God showed up because these guys are accusing a woman without being aware of their own sins. So he shows up on Mount Sinai and writes the Ten Commandments. Not because he loved the law, because he wanted them to know that they could not keep the law. Correct? So that's the first coming down of God. This is Jesus himself showed up on Mount Sinai. How do we know? Because the Bible says Jesus himself said, no one has seen the Father, not at any time. So who did Israel see? They saw Jesus. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Who did Jesus, uh, Abraham see? Jesus. Daniel saw a young man clothed in linen with a golden band and with words, a sound of a multitude. Who did he see? Jesus. Daniel was in the lion's den and one like the form of a son of man showed up. Who did Jesus, Daniel, Daniel see? Jesus. Or his friends see? Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Jesus has been appearing throughout history. Because he is the sent one from the Father. But then he officially came down. Correct? As a man to take care of the sin problem. But the first time he stooped down, he came down on Mount Sinai and wrote the law. You got it? Okay. Now, this event is happening inside the temple in the place where the treasury is. That means it's in solid ground. You know the pictures where, you know, Jesus is writing on dust and dust is flowing. That's that's not correct. It is, it is in the temple. He's in the temple and he's writing on solid rock, stone. This way, because it's a picture of Jesus on Mount Sinai writing on the tablets. The accusation, the law that they could not keep. Okay, here, hear this. And he, as if he did not hear. So he's going to, he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to hear. What is he waiting for? Since the giving of the law, how long did God wait before he sent Jesus? About 2,000 years, right? Almost 2,000 years. So he was waiting for man to say, I give up. But he didn't want to make a judgment. He could have easily said, you know what? Done. Let's solve the problem. Kill her. Because she committed adultery. But he's waiting. What is he waiting for? Because he's being long-suffering. Because he knows what, what is coming. Who is coming? Jeez, he is going to come down as a man and take care of this acquisition problem once for all. But so he's going, to, he's going to buy time. In the meantime, he's going to say, just offer sacrifices. Just look forward because I, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to judge you. I don't want to judge you. Just keep offering sacrifices. And Israel would not even offer sacrifices. He's like, man, can you all just offer sacrifices? I'm going to come. I'm going to come. Because if, if I judge you, I have to destroy everything. Correct? I mean, that's the mercy of God. Okay, look at what he says. And look at verse 7. Huge. This is a characteristic of Satan and his kingdom. Verse 7. So they, when they continued asking him. Look at the word continued asking him. Because Satan does what? He continually accuses you. He accuses you day and night in the presence of God. He used to, correct? He continually, so it's a continual accusation. So that's what the world faces. It's a continual accusation. This is what he does. He does it day and night. He does it morning, evening. He does it when you wake up. He does it when you're sleeping. He does it in your rest time. He's constantly, constantly finding 
fault with you. It is he. It is he who is finding fault with you. It is not you yourself. It is not your spouse. It is not your friends. It is not your boss. Like I keep telling you know sometimes I go up in the morning. I open my emails. I know which folders to open. <laughs> I know who sends those stupid emails. You know, so those are the folders I open the last. Because I don't want to open that folder, that reply. Because I don't want an accusation. Correct? We are so sensitive to accusation. Because he's constantly working accusation against you. He's continually. And what he says? He raised himself and... So when they continued, continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without stone, let him cast the first stone. So what he did? He raised himself up. What happened? Jesus raised himself up. And he said, he said, this is the law, right? I just gave you the Ten Commandments. He who has not broken this law, let him cast the first stone. So what happened? So what did it, what, what did it gain for that woman? No, he didn't get, he, he didn't get mercy at this point of time. The law was given and then he said he was without sin cast the first stone. What happened? What, did, what, what is the benefit of it? The law bought time. Bought time for God. While his salvation plan was being accomplished, he bought time so that you, you do not be judged. So he would say, Satan, yes, the sin problem is not taken. But guess what? Let him without stone, cast the first stone. I'm not saying you should not stone him. Let's cast the first stone. So let's wait for the sinless one to show up to cast the first stone. So Satan is now, Satan cannot cast the stone now. No, legally, she is an adulterer. Legally, Satan has a access to God's presence. But suddenly, God has got what? He's got time. What a, what a brilliant move of God. The law enabled God to have time. That's why the Bible says the law was a tutor that may, kept you in God. He uses the word, kept you in God until the promised one could come. Hallelujah! So Israel could not be destroyed during this time because the law is working and the law would say what? Yes, I'm a sinner, but who is going to carry the sentence? Who, who wants to carry the sentence? Who wants to kill me? He say, uh, uh, there's a volunteer. Oh, okay, you're a volunteer. Okay, so are you without sin? No. Oh, but uh, uh, I, uh, I don't do, I'm a basically a good guy. Okay, but did you know that God has now given the law? Let's compare. Let's start with the beginning. Then they walk away. Because now the executor of the written judgment against you is himself guilty. Huge. So God got this time, right? But is the sin problem taken care? No. So what God has to do? He has to stoop down again. Look at the next verse. And again, say again. So he came down first time on Mount Sinai. Now he comes down the second time where? 
If anybody answers this, they get five dollars. No. So the time expired. I want to keep my five dollars. <laughs> the second time he came down in Mary's womb. You got it? So the first time he stooped down as God. Second time he stooped down as a man. You got it? Look at the second time. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now what is he writing? He's not writing the law because he just finished writ written the law. That's the first writing. Say the first writing. Say the first writing. We are living in the days of the second writing. Say the second writing. So people don't focus on the second writing. What did Jesus write the second time? No. Yeah, you may have written names, but, but what is he writing? He's writing the terms of the new covenant. And what are the terms of the new covenant? Do you want to read that? Huge. You need to underline that in red, blue, orange, purple, everything. Let's go to Hebrews chapter... Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, okay? Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter 8. That's a better one. Sushil, did you say that? Okay. Hebrews chapter 8, let's read from verses 7 to 13. So I want you to underline that, memorize it, meditate on it, because you need to know the new terms, the new writings of Jesus, okay? For if the first covenant had been faultless, he's talking about the first writing, then no place would have been sought for a second. That means if what I had written first was perfect, I didn't have to write again. Make sense? So that means what? The first was not perfect. Why was it not perfect? It just bought additional time. It did not take care of the sin problem. Do you see the picture? Wow, are you, are you enjoying this? You get this picture, the, 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 the wisdom of God, right? So it just got you some time. It's like, take this loaner car, go and buy your groceries while I fix your Mercedes. Correct? Is that a perfect solution? No. Will it do the job? Do. But are you happy with it? For the time being. You want your Mercedes back. Correct? <laughs> so you want your perfection back, right? Which you had lost, right? Okay, so uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 17, 7, underline, color, do whatever you need to do. Be but then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them. With whom? Finding fault with the law. He says, Behold, the days are coming, and both with the law and with the people, both. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. means I will write some new words with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them. Say, God disregarded it. He disregarded both the covenant and the people because they could not keep it. It was perfect. It was a perfect law, but they couldn't keep it. So he, he disregarded it. 
And for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and what? Write them. Did you notice? He's now writing this new covenant. He's writing this new covenant. Now where does he write it? The first one he wrote on tablets. The second one he's going to write on hearts. Now let's, you, you've heard this. You know, God is going to write the Ten Commandments after your believer on your hearts. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have you ever heard that? God writes God's laws into your heart. And therefore you keep it automatically. Because now you want to keep it. You know, you've heard that? He doesn't keep that. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He's taken care of the commandments. He's writing a new covenant, new words, new terms. And here it is detailed. There is no confusion about it. Let's read it. For this is the covenant. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. None of them shall teach their neighbor. None his brother says know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will... Look at the words of the covenant. For I will be merciful to their... Hold on. He starts off by assuming that you are going to be unrighteous. <laughs> but I am going to be... Merciful to your unrighteousness. He doesn't start by saying... I am going to enable you to keep my law perfectly. He is already assuming that you are going to... Break the law. But I am going to be merciful to you. These are the terms of the new covenant. Keep reading. Their sins, not only their sins, but their lawless deeds, I will... It's one thing to forget your sins. What about the actions that led to the sins? What is he going to do with them? He's not going to remember those also. He's not only not going to take care of your sin problem, but he's also not going to remember what you did to sin. Wow. Is that good? I mean, no wonder the saints glory, rejoice in their glory. No wonder they can sleep at night. Because this God has new terms. And he's written this. Where is he written this? In your hearts and in your minds. Hebrews 10 says on your minds. Hebrews 8 says on your hearts. The same thing. He's written it. That means you know in your minds. You know what? God is not going to find fault with me. You say, but man, this is going to make me do more sin. Seriously? I mean, it doesn't. You sin because... It, how many of you all have walked into... You look at any laws that are written. Don't park here. What do you do? Park there. But if it is not written, don't park there, you will not park there. You will park somewhere else. But because it is written, labeled, do not park there. You are constantly hovering around that, that board to see which is the nearest slot I can get in without breaking the law. Why? Because that's, that's what law does. It entices you to break it. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. We are having a, we are having a shortfall or rainfall in Texas, right? So suddenly, they have stage one water controls now they say you can only water twice a day suddenly I'm very aware of the days that I must water now I, previously I would only water thrice a week now, now I water five times in those two days <laughs> like, and my water bill has actually gone up more 
in my regular time because there is a law which says you shall not water any other day except two days. So I'm like, so I'm like very conscious on how to technically water on those two days. Like, I mean, my lawn doesn't even need that much water, but because there is a law, I, you know, so that's what law does. But once you know, you know what? Biju, park anywhere. What are you going to do? Go to park at the right place. You know, you go, you go to enjoy. Because you're like, ah, no one, even if I do something, I think I should do the right thing. No, because your, your Holy Spirit leads you. Leads you. Because there is accusation. See, the moment Esau felt accused by his parents, he immediately did the next thing. He went and took a wife from the Moabites. You see how it is? Because he felt accused, because he felt rejected by his father, immediately he went and went for the thing. You know what? I'm already crazy. I'm bad. Let me go the full hog. You know what I mean? This is what you do. But righteousness revelation, the fact that you're righteous empowers you to receive the victory. And you have to get rid of this accusation problem. If you don't know this accusation problem, if you don't, ha- you don't handle this in the way that the new covenant terms are, you will constantly be enticed back into those old patterns. You got it? You got the power? You need to understand this message thoroughly. You need to be joyful in glory. I don't need to do these things. I don't need to because they won't have any power. They'll be like dry leaves that just fall off of your life. It's going to happen. Okay, huge, huge. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that day, a new covenant he has made the first Obsolete. Say obsolete. Wow, did you know that? This is God speaking about his own law. And we are so jealous about God's law and his ways. He's saying, what did you say? You lived your whole life trying to do? Uh, I kept all the laws. Which ones? The expired ones? You don't want to show up with God, with that. You spend your whole life trying to keep an expired law. Really? What are you doing out there? That law expired. Don't you know that you are the son? You are supposed to be inside the house. And, and our sins and lawless deeds, I don't remember anymore. Which? What did you do? You said you broke the law. Which law? That one. But what did you do that broke the law? Don't you know? You said, no. Because I am very faithful to my own terms. Correct? My job is not to remember. So if you spend time remembering, is whose fault? Your fault. He doesn't remember. Do you believe God keeps his laws? Let me ask you this question. I want to get a very firm yes. Do you believe God keeps his laws? Do you believe God keeps his covenants? Do you believe God keeps the covenant that he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10? See, there's a very soft yes. <laughs> yes! He has made the first obsolete. Say obsolete. I mean, you can't get a more stronger word in the Bible. He says, he's made it obsolete. Because he's found fault with it. How much, duh, how many words, in how many ways should I tell you? I just bought me some time. But now I don't need that parking ticket. The time is expired. What are you doing walking around with an expired parking ticket in your hand? It's done. It's gone. You can park anywhere you want. It's Sunday. 
Go park anywhere. Actually, it is S O N day. It is a Sunday. Park anywhere. Live anywhere. But what does it do? It makes you live the right life because He lives in you. Amen. He keeps His laws. Amen. Okay, let's go back to John chapter eight. So again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So now you understand what did he write on the ground? There were two writings. The first writing, the second writing. You know the Bible actually uses the word, the first writing? You love this verse. This is a beautiful reference. I just found it today. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4. And I'll read this to you. Go back and read it. It's so beautiful. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't miss a word, right? So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments. The first writing. The Ten Commandments was the first writing. How many times did God write the Ten Commandments? Five dollars. Good. I don't have change. <laughs> she has five dollars okay she will give you five dollars how many times did God write the ten commandments twice are you, you, look, you look, is there a confusion there remember what what happened to the first writing Moses, Moses broke it so when he wrote the second time should it be called the first writing or the second writing right but here he writes the second time, but still calls it the first writing. Because it is not about how many times you write it. It is the fact that the words have not changed. Huge. See, the covenants may be written and written, but it's never changed. In God's eyes, it is still the first. So if he's writing the second time, means what? The terms have changed. It is the Hebrews 10 terms. You have to believe it. You have to live it. You need to know not only your sins are not remembered, your lawless deeds are not remembered. Who preaches this? Like man, you need to remember your actions that caused you to do this sin so that you don't repeat those actions. God says, no. I don't remember it. Neither should you. But what if I repeat again? Because you remember you're repeating again. <laughs> so is this the word of rest? Is this the good news? Is this good news that he will not remember your lawless deeds and sins? Do you have any confusion that this is not good? <laughs> if you... If you have any confusion, we'll have a separate session for you privately. <laughs> is there any confusion that this is not good? It's good news. But it says if you are not careful to listen to this, right? That word is sharper. It will work. That means this word will produce fruit in your life because it's a living word. This word, the terms of the new covenant is living, sharper, and powerful. It's a discerner of your thoughts and heart. Means what? You'll be saying, yeah, you know what? I really don't keep the law. And uh, I, I live by uh, his righteousness. I believe that. But in your heart of heart, this word will sort it out. You say, ah, this is living by faith. This is not. This you're living by your works. And this is not. So this word cleans it up. You say, ah, you know what? 
I, brother, sister, brother, sister, you know, all what you say is good. But if I had not fasted that day, it would have not happened. <laughs> it's like, you know. So, so now the word will kind of slowly trying to say and say, ah, see, I'm, so the word is saying, you know what? You, so you don't believe in the word of rest, right? You don't believe that Jesus' finished work is enough, right? So you believe that your contribution is important to do this happen, right? So that's the word. That's so sharp. You cannot hide from the sword. This sword is very clear. It is going to be a discerner of your thoughts and hearts. You have to fall on the side. It's not a, it's not a mushy, mushy word. It's a very simple word. Is it by the finished work of Jesus or is it not? Is it the fact that Jesus paid the price or is it not? Or does it mean that you have to contribute anything to it? Are you blessed because you are righteous? Or you are blessed because he is merciful to your unrighteousness? Wow. Let me repeat that. Are you blessed because you are righteous? Or are you blessed because he is merciful to your unrighteousness? <laughs> Trick question. It's both. While you are unrighteous, he's merciful to declare you righteous. You got this? His righteousness is not your righteousness. Your righteousness is from the law. Paul says in Philippians or Galatians, he says the righteousness, he boasts about him being a Benjamin regarding keeping the, he says regarding keeping the law, I was blameless. I mean a man, if, thank God Paul did not come at my execution. You know, he would have said, I am without sin, I will cast your stone. You know? But Jesus interrupted him before he could. No wonder he stood at Stephen's uh, execution and collected the clothes. Why? Because he believed that he was blameless regarding the law. Thank God Jesus Christ interrupted him. And showed him the mercy, the grace of God. Otherwise, this guy was going to go full hog. But then converted a guy who considered himself blameless regarding the law to preach everything about the new covenant. What, what a, what a remarkable irony, irony of God. That he would use the guy who is the blame. I mean, if you were to preach the law, he would use this guy. Not grace. You would use Peter for grace. You know, the guy who curses and uh, uh, denies him. You would use him to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he used the, a guy who is perfect in keeping the law to preach grace. Why? Because he's trying to show through his testimony that I, can't, I consider it all rubbish. If one guy could deserve to be blessed based on his keeping the law, it would have been Paul. But yet he said, I count it all rubbish. You got the picture? Okay, let's go to John chapter 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, those who heard what? What did they hear? They heard, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So they heard that. So they heard the law. Correct? So what happened when they heard the law? Being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one. So let me ask you a question at this point of time. Did the conscience do a good thing or a bad thing? Correct. For the men 
It was a bad thing. What did it do? No, it revealed. But what did the conscience do? It condemned them. And what did the condemnation cause them to do? They walked out away from whom? From, from the one who could make them righteous. So they walked out from the presence of God. So an evil conscience will always drive you out of the presence of God. That is why Adam and Eve left the presence of God when they sinned. You got it? Because who told them that they were sinners? Their conscience. So, the, so see? So it is not Satan? Satan caused, but their conscience drove them out. So their conscience, that is why Paul talks about in Timothy constantly, he says about an evil conscience. In 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he says, do not reject a good conscience. For some have rejected and suffered shipwreck concerning their faith. Powerful message, I'll talk about it in some other life day. Huge, huge concept. Everybody's, a lot of people teach this. Yeah, you need to have a sensitive conscience. You need to be very sensitive when you do a sin. That you need to be sensitive, quick to repent. And quick to uh, ask God to forgive. You are, you are living in an evil conscious body. You are not living in the terms of the new covenant. And you come to take communion. Oh, I'm a sinner. Uh, I, I, I'm an unworthy guy. You totally blew it. You are just falling straight into an evil conscience that will drive you out from the presence of God. Has God taken care of the sin problem for you, yes or no? Yes. Has he put you in Christ, yes or no? Yes. yes. In Christ, is there any sin, yes or no? No. no. Are you in Christ? Yes. When you sin, are you in Christ or out of Christ? You are in Christ. No so, but there is no sin in you. Because if, you, if there is sin in you, there will be sin in whom? Christ. In Christ. What, a, what, a, what an amazing solution. God just puts you in Christ. So whatever you do, you can never become a sin. And First John talks about it. He says, he who is born of God does not sin. He just makes this blanket statement. He says, because you did not sin or because God declares you righteous by the blood of Jesus. Declares you and he he's cleansed you. His blood continually keeps you perfect as a finished work. It doesn't have to come down from heaven every time and stoop down and make you clean again. He's done once for all. He's once for all done. Once for all. The word once, once, once is in Hebrews chapter 10. He says once it's appointed for man to die once. And he's using the context in saying that Christ died once. Was he a man? So how many, how many times can Jesus die? Once. So after he has died for you, if you still sin, what happens to you? You can. He cannot have to die again because he's a man who can only die once. But he has forever, say forever, forever made you righteous. See, this righteousness is not like the covenant of the first covenant. In the first covenant, if they were obedient, they would stay in the land. The moment they became evil, what happened? They were taken captive. They would again become obedient, they would come back into the land. Again they would become evil, what would happen? They would be taken out. But in the new covenant, the terms are everlasting righteousness. Say everlasting righteousness. 
you need to get the concept of everlasting righteousness in your heart. I know we have preached it so many times, but it is at the heart of every victory in your life is everlasting righteousness. Everlasting righteousness is not a good doctrine that you need to know. It is a lifestyle that you need to be rejoicing. He has made you righteous forever. You got it? Okay, let's look at it. That those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Who is the oldest? Five dollars. Satan. He is the dragon of old. He is the oldest. So he is the first one who left there. He, because what happened? When, Je when Jesus came to the earth, when he came to the earth and he wrote the terms of the new covenant, what did Jesus say when the 70 went out and casting out demons? He said, I, fought. I saw what? Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Who left first? Satan. Satan. The oldest one just left. The oldest one just left. Because he is, the, he is most aware of his sins. He is the most convicted by his conscience. He is the most aware that he is a breaker of God's law. He is the most aware. But now he is checkmated. Because he knows that he is a transgressor. What a beautiful system. The oldest one left us. And then what happens? From the oldest even to the... Doesn't say youngest. For the, for the longest time, I always thought it said the youngest. But here it says what? The last. It is not the youngest, it is the last. Who is the last that is going to leave your presence? Who is the last? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 26. Can somebody read it? See, the Bible interprets Bible. Say, Bible interprets Bible. Everything is, the Bible says, who is the last? Who is the last? Death is the last one that is going to leave your presence when you are righteous. So who left first? Satan. Who will be the last one that will leave? Death. So he's lingering around. He's hanging around. But he will also... Leave. Why will he leave, Anil? Why is he going to leave? So the default answer today, for today evening, question is? Because he is, you're righteous. Because you're righteous. He cannot, he cannot accuse you. Remember, this whole sit, situation is in the temple with God, with an accusation. Yes or no? Correct. So he has to leave. So death has to leave. So that's why the end time generation, the one that will see Jesus, will not see death. death. Because, because the last one that will leave, because the root of accusation is condemnation, and condemnation brings death. Condemnation comes before death. C comes before D. Always C comes first, before D. And finally, death will have to leave because he doesn't have anything to condemn. How can... Any, let me ask you a question. Could anybody kill Jesus when he was walking righteously on the earth? They tried stones. They tried to drop him off the cliff. Is it because they did not have physical strength? Or is it because death is spiritual? 
death is spiritual it is not the ability to kill a person that will cause somebody to die death is spiritual you need to understand that sickness and disease is spiritual uh, lack is spiritual judgments are spiritual it manifests in the natural but it is spiritual that's why they couldn't do anything Jesus would still walk away through because you cannot put death on a righteous person so when did Jesus attract death when did that happen what happened when he was lifted up he said when I be lifted up I will draw all judgment to myself so remember what's a lightning rod if you have a lightning rod in your house will the lightning lightning hit that lightning rod no if you have the lightning rod in your house I didn't say on the house so if I have a lightning rod in my front door will it hit the lightning the lightning hit my front door what what should be done to the lightning rod to attract the lightning to be lifted up it has to be lifted up it has to be the at the highest point of my dwelling yes or no yes. yes so what happens it draws all judgment to itself jesus on the cross was a lightning rod for judgment to come on him see otherwise he, he was righteous but and we talked about it what a fantastic method of curse coming on a righteous man without actually coming an unrighteous deed. What a fantastic method. See, God had this problem. He, didn't, he could not have Jesus do an evil and attract justice because then he would have to die for his own sin. He had to keep him righteous but yet attract judgment on him. So God created he, in the law, he put a loophole. He put a, he said, he who dies on a tree shall be cursed. For the first time, your actions doesn't determine that you are cursed. What has been done to you will cause you to be cursed. Isn't that beautiful? But yet, he, he could say, I did no sin. What a fantastic loophole that God put in the law. And that is why it was very important that he could not be killed by stoning. He could only be killed by dying on a tree. Why? If they had stoned Jesus, what would have happened to him? You don't understand. In fact, Paul was stoned many times and he would just walk up and get up and go because he was righteous in Christ Jesus. So he like, okay, so which city next? That's really, that's, that's what happened because death is spiritual. Sickness and disease is spiritual. Your basis of righteousness is what causes the curses of the book of the law to come upon you. And if you have that basis, you can live life winning battles from your bed. I say increase sleep time. <laughs> when you understand that you're joyful on your bed because of your glory. You got it? Okay, let's go keep reading. And Jesus was left alone. And beginning with, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in her midst. That's a picture of the church. So this is the church standing with Jesus. Was previously accused, but is able to stand with God in the most holy place. Okay? Remember, where is the woman and Jesus right now? In the temple. Is, this, is the temple holy? Yes. Is she standing next to God? 
Yes. Is she righteous or unrighteous? She's righteous. Why? And Jesus says how she became righteous in a, in a little bit. Are you excited to hear that? Okay, keep reading. Now, when, now look at the next verse. Now, verse 10. Huge, very important word. Something happened when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. How did he raise himself up? That's called the resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, what is the first thing he did? He asked, he said to the woman, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? What happened? When Jesus raised from the dead, who raised from the dead? That woman raised from the dead. You raised from the dead. Jesus was raised righteous. You were raised righteous. So what happened? Now you are seated with God in heavenly places. And the first question to the woman is what? Where are those accusers of yours? So what did Jesus, he said, she said, no one Lord. For the first time, the church could say, no one Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, this is huge. And I, this has been misunderstood a lot. This has been taught. And you read it like that as if saying, when Jesus says, go and sin no more means what? I have forgiven all the sin up till now. Now you better not sin because I cannot keep coming back and rescuing you from this place. That's not what he's saying. Let me ask you a question. If somebody is blind and Jesus says, be healed, what does the blind man have to do for her, him to be healed? Nothing. What caused the blind man to see? What caused the blind man to see? The word that said, be healed. So, so somebody who is with sin, what would Jesus say to that person? Sin no more. So he is declaring to her after resurrection the perfect righteousness. He says, be sin free. Hallelujah. How long? Till the next sin? Forever. Because he's just wrote the terms of the new covenant when he wrote the second time. He said, be sin free. In fact, Jesus knew this would totally offend the Pharisees and he turns to them. He knew what he just said. He said it intentionally. He's saying, I, uh, you heard right. I am declaring this adulterous woman what? Righteous. How does he do it? Look at what he says. Then Jesus spoke to them again. Who is this them? The scribes and the Pharisees. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What is the light of life? What's that, Julie? Glory. Light of life is glory. What is glory? Righteousness. You got it? Jesus says, he who believes in me will have this light of life for how long? I am the light of the world. Like, if it is... When you wake up, is it morning because the sun came up? Or did the sun come up because it is morning? So was sun waiting for morning to happen before it woke up? 
What caused the morning? The sun coming up is the morning. So Jesus says, I am the sun in your life. Who, who brings you righteousness? Me. I am the light. So he says, I am the sun. I am the sun of... I'm looking for the word. That's exactly what's read in Malachi. Malachi, Malachi says, the sun of righteousness will rise up with what in his wings? Why healing? Because the moment you're righteous, Biju, what's going to happen to you? You're healed. Because all sickness and disease have to be leave your body because you are righteous. And why are you righteous? Because it's morning. <laughs> it's morning in Daniel's household. It's morning in John's household. It's morning in Biju's household. In Anil's household. In Annie's household. George's household. Julie's household. Rajesh's household. Alkesh's household. It's morning in your house. Why? What do you have in your house? The light of life. You got the power of the picture? Access denied for the accuser. Has Jesus taken care of the sin problem? Yes. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. Okay. Revelation chapter 12. So this whole picture is actually explained very clearly by Jesus in Revelation. Look at it. Revelation chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a garland of 12 stars. I'll tell you what this later, but that's a picture of 12 stars, sun, and the moon under her feet. What's that a picture of? Israel. 12 is a picture of Israel. Remember the 12 sons of Jacob? Correct? So that's the 12 sons. Okay, here you need to, you need to understand Revelation chapter 12. Very important chapter. You need to understand this because it is, it is you, it's not just for prophecy teachers who are talking about the end times. No, it is talking about you right now. Because it's a picture. Because Jesus is revealing to the church what exactly happened when Jesus died and rose again. It just happened with that woman at the what he when he lifted up, raised up, wrote down. It's all God moving. You know, it's not just like a man from Nazareth stooping down writing. It is God stooping down, writing, declaring, handling accusation. Declaring, this is God speaking. You understand that? When you read the gospel, you don't read it as a hey, nice story. You know, it's, it has powerful implications of what exactly happened. And all this, God says, okay, let me give you one more imagery. This is not Jesus in the temple. This is a great sign in heaven. Let me show you this is exactly what happened in heaven. Okay, read it. Uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12. And there was a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with, her feet, with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with the child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So Israel was in labor and in pain for a long time. What was it waiting for? What was Israel waiting for, Jerry? Israel was waiting for Satan? For the Savior. Where was the Savior going to be born? 
Through which woman? Through Israel. He was going to be a seed of David. Do you remember that? He's going to be a Jewish seed. It's going to be, so of all the, so it's waiting and waiting. This labor is taking a long time because remember, in that passage, Jesus took a long time. He continued writing because there's a time involved because he's waiting for the manifestation before he can next stoop down. That means when he becomes, he comes into the earth again. So there's a long period where Israel is waiting for the Messiah to be born because he, Israel is facing what you and every man faced. What? He's facing a dragon in their face. You got it? Who is the dragon? Satan. Okay. So look at the next verse. Then being with the child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, seven horns, seven diadems. So do you see seven, seven, seven? Sorry, seven, seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems. Okay, so he, what does seven mean? Complete. He has complete authority. He has ten diadems, correct? Seven diadems, how many horns? Ten horns. Horns means what is his weapon? What are his weapons? The law. He uses the Ten Commandments as his weapon, the horns, correct? So he has complete authority. He uses the law to dominate, correct? And he has seven diadems. That means he has seven rulership and kingdoms in the earth. So looks like a Satan who is at the peak of his power. Yes or no? Correct? So that's what Satan was. Say was. Was. Okay. Keep reading. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. That's where it is. He was a murderer from the beginning. And threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour a child as soon as it was born. So the first, so the first child that came to man was whom? No. Abel. Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel were the first, for the first children. We don't know who was the youngest, but to the moment the child was born, he went after it and killed it. First away, first away, because he was a murderer from the beginning. He knew that this child is going to crush his head, correct? He knew it. So he immediately killed. He stood before the woman constantly to kill the child. So he was killing Moses. He was killing. He was trying to kill Samson. He's constantly going after the savior who was going to come into the world through which country? Israel. He's not killing any other countries, children. He's killing the seed that comes in royal household in Israel. He's constantly going after Israel. Because he's waiting, correct? This is an actual picture. This is exactly what happened. Okay, keep reading. Verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who was this male child? Jesus. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So did Jesus get resurrected and he was caught up to God and his throne? Yes or no? Yes. Then... 
The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her 1260 days. What is that? That's a picture of the physical nation Israel during the end time when the Antichrist comes against Israel intentionally, correct? He has, he has a short time. God is going to protect Israel for how many years? Three and a half years. Remember this number. Three and a half years. And we are coming close to that end of the age. There is going to be a final open warfare against the woman who gave birth to the Messiah. You got it? So, but Jesus, God is going to protect her where? Not in heaven. It's called the wilderness. Okay. So this is huge. There are two women that in Abraham's life that were important. One was Sarah. The other one was Hagar. Hagar. Correct? The two women. Both had how many children? They had how many seeds? Twelve at the final. First they had Isaac. And then Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob had twelve sons. Hagar had Ishmael and Ishmael had 12 sons. You got it? So you see the picture? Both a picture of this, a woman of Israel. Yes or no? Correct. And Galatians chapter 3, three and 4 talks about it. You need to study this. It's very powerful. Remember everything is about this kingdom. Right? So there are two Jerusalems. Say two Jerusalems. There are two Israels. Correct? So one is the natural and the other is the redeemed, the spiritual. So one is Sarah. Sarah is this resurrected, born again Israel that you are, a, you and I are part of. That we were born of God directly. And there is Hagar who is the natural Israel. This is the woman who is born of the flesh. Jesus was born in the spirit or in the flesh? In the flesh. He was born in the flesh. He physically was born, isn't it? Yes or no? When was he born again? Good question. Have you heard the message, born of God? Yes. Now you can answer that. Was Jesus born again? Yes. He was the firstborn of many brethren. So when he came the first time, he was born of flesh. When he was resurrected the second time, he was born of God. He was born of God. Exactly like the same way. First time you were born of a physical father and mother. Second time you were born of God directly. You look the same because you are just renting the old car. Right? Because you are you're renting that old body but you are totally different. So here is Israel which is natural Israel which is Hagar. And which, which wants everything by the flesh. He has to work it. So Abraham does not believe in God's promise. He goes and has children with Hagar. Which is the works of the flesh. He says, and Jesus, God, when Sarah gets angry. Which says, cast out this bond woman and her child. Read Galatians chapter 3. He says, God, and it looks so rude. He says, what are you doing to this woman? But God said, no. What she said is correct. The child of the worn woman will not be heir with the child of the free. Hallelujah. 
what he's saying is you cannot enter the kingdom of God in your works by your works of your flesh he makes a rule he says you cannot enter the kingdom you cannot enter you cannot be inherit all that I have by works you cannot inherit it you have to inherit it by being born of the seed of Isaac that means you have to be of the seed of Isaac and Jesus came from Isaac Hallelujah. very powerful so there are two women but Hagar was sent into the wilderness and taken care of her do you notice that God didn't just give up on Hagar God provided for her and her nation became a strong nation and they had 12 children See, God regarded that woman, even though she was natural. Because God said, finally, the natural Israel will become part of my kingdom. What did Jesus, God said to Hagar? The angel said, the first time she flew, she fled from Sarah, because Sarah was persecuting her. And the angel said, go back and submit to Sarah. Because the natural Israel will have to submit to the supernatural Israel that is coming down from above. The natural Jerusalem will have to be submit to the supernatural Jerusalem. Who is the supernatural Jerusalem? That is you and I that live there. Hallelujah. Do you get the picture? So that the wilderness being uh, taken care is a classic picture of Hagar being taken care in the wilderness and being protected for three and a half years. You got it? While the end, end time restoration of all things that should happen. Read Romans chapter 11. You also picture about what God, Paul says, finally Israel will also be saved. So that's the whole point. You get the picture? Okay, that's, so that, that is not the, that, that, that's not the good part only, but look at that. What happened? When the, when the sun was caught up to God and his throne, verse 7, and war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Correct? And they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven anymore. So suddenly the dragon lost his place in heaven. When did that happen? Correct. Jesus says, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, um, uh, it should be in John. He said, uh, uh, if I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment to me. Do you, do you have that word, that chapter? Can somebody pick that up? Okay, read this. John chapter 12, verse 27. I'm going to read Jesus' words just before he went to the cross. I want you to understand this because it's really coming to your accuser. So the question I'm trying to address is, is the accuser in the presence of God accusing you right now? Yes or no? No. Remember, he asked the question. Jesus asked the woman, where are your accusers? He said, there is no one. Because that accusers left the presence. When did that happen? When he raised himself up the second time. When Jesus resurrected. And look at what happened in Revelation chapter 12. Say there was a war in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon was cast down. But he said, dragon was always cast down from the earth. No. Remember, he had access to Job through his throne. He was walking in all the time, not because he was sinless, but because there was a basis on which to accuse you. So he constantly went into the presence of God and accused them. So finally, they, Michael and his angels threw them out because there's a basis on which to throw him out. Why? What is the basis? 
because the church is made righteous. So what is he showing up for? Like if you are not the criminal, how can the prosecutor show up in the court? Satan was fulfilling the role of a prosecutor. But when the, the victim has been made perfect, the prosecutor also loses his office. And which is what happened. So war broke out and Satan was thrown down. Now read this. This is huge. John chapter 12 verse 27. Can you read it? Can somebody read it loud? Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father save me from this hour. Father save me from this hour. Jesus is now about to go to the cross. He says save me from which hour? This hour. So it's a specific time. Correct? Save me from this hour. I'll read it. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What purpose? To die. Correct? For this purpose, I came. We'll try to find out this purpose. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Then the people who stood by heard it said, and it thundered because God the Father spoke from heaven and said, I have glorified your name. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, can somebody read that? Biju, can you read that loud? Jesus answered and said, This words did not come because of me, but for your sake. Okay. Now, is the now. say now. 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 now, say now. 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 Now is the judgment of the world. I thought judgment of the world happens after Jesus comes, correct? What judgment is he talking about? Now is the judgment of the world. He's talking about I came to this hour for this purpose. I came for this hour for judgment. Whose judgment? come for judgment of Satan he came for the judgment of the world you see he had to take care of the sin problem he had to take care of the fact that remember the second accusation that was against God God could not show mercy because judgment was not rendered against the lawless one who was the lawless one we why is Satan in the presence of God for his sake or for our sake? Our sake. So somebody has to take care of the judgment of this guy. Otherwise this guy is going to constantly show up continually. You got it? So he said now is the judgment of the world. So Jesus has come at that point of time to receive this judgment of this world. Huge. You need to understand these words very clearly. Look at the next verse. Keep reading. Biju. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Why is the ruler of the world cast out? Remember in Revelation chapter 12 that scene is replicated. When Jesus died on the cross, the ruler of the world was cast out. Cast out from where? Cast out from the presence of God. He has been denied a platform to accuse you. Remember just like everybody left when the woman was accused because he rose up he resurrected. Now there is nobody to accuse you. The church has nobody to accuse you. 
Hallelujah. That's why what happened to Job can never happen to you. Because Jesus, like God said, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. He can say that and get away. Why? Why? Because it's the truth. He's blameless. He's perfect. He's taken care of the sin problem. So now there is no basis for Satan to walk into the presence and accuse God of being, you know what, skin for skin. Just kill him. Uh, touch his skin. Um, Satan knows man so perfectly. And this is what he said. Skin for skin. A man will give whatever he has for his life. Wow, he knows man. He said, touch his body. He will do. He knows man. But he cannot now. Because the ruler of the world has been cast out not because he is judged, but because the judgment of the world has been put on Jesus and he's taken care of the sin problem. And now there is no basis for an accusation against you. You need to get this. Now the ruler of the world has been cast out. Keep reading. And I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, okay, will draw all peoples to my Wrong. Peoples is in italics. Isn't there? Mm-hmm. Correct? So don't read it. <laughs> okay? Now let's read it. What is the context of this passage? Judgment. Say judgment. Correct? So let's continue with the object. The object is what will draw, he will draw all to him. He just said, now is what of the world? The judgment of the world. So if I be lifted up, I will draw all the judgment to whom? To myself. Hallelujah. He just sucked it up, brothers and sisters. He left nothing for you to partake. You're like, you know, we are, we are like constantly uh, tempted to take the little crumbs. Can you give me a little judgment, please? You know, I have to also pay a little price in your life. You know, I also have to little suffer because it keeps me humble. Why? Did Jesus draw all or not? Yes or no? Or did he draw most of it? So the lightning has gone into the lightning rod or not? So do you think there will be other sparks in other parts of the house? No. Did you lift up the lightning rod? Yes or no? That's the whole point. All judgment has been drawn on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what? That is why the ruler has been cast out. This he said signifying by what death he would die. What death means? Not the death by stoning, but the death by to fulfill the technical requirement of the law that a righteous man can become cursed. In fact, the, he said, you can, in fact, they were going to kill him. They were not going to crucify him. They were not going to crucify him. The Pharisees were going to just stone him. They were going to, if they couldn't, they were not going to stone him. But God would not allow. It just happened to happen. He had to die under a Roman death. Why? Why he had to die as a Roman death? Because he had to fulfill this technicality. Otherwise, curse would never come on him. They would stone him and he would just get up. Can you imagine, like in the last days, it's going to happen. Men will seek death and death will flee from them. 
because it's going to be so bad in the world. People will want to die and they wouldn't die. You think death is good? Think about death being an exit way to get out of places. But he said, you cannot get out. You will never die. That's what happened to Jesus. He could never be killed. He would never pay the price. But unless he was lifted up, the moment he was lifted up, all judgment came on Jesus. Amazing, amazing plan. Okay, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. And war broke up in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. And they could not prevail. And nor was a place. Look at the word. Nor was a place found in heaven any longer. Say no more. No more place for the dragon to accuse you. Okay keep reading. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth and the angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice. Now this is the loud voice that heaven wants the church to know. And what is the loud voice? Underline that. Now salvation means what? Deliverance. Deliverance. And strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. Why? Why has it come? Look at the reasoning. For the accuser of our brethren... Who accuse them? How how often? Day and night. Do you sound? This is sounds familiar. Like continue. They continue to ask Jesus. Continue, continue. He accuses you. Continue. Why should heaven rejoice? Why should you rejoice? Why? Because the accuser has been cast out. Accused them day and night has been cast out. And how did they overcome? Verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. By the fact that Christ died. Right? And by the word. Do you see the two factor authentication key here again? How do you overcome? By believing. And speaking. So you need both. And they overcame, they overcame, they overcame. Now Satan, even though he can accuse you, he cannot accuse you before the Father. He can just accuse you like a flood. Read, keep reading. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Who is he talking about? He's talking about you. He says you dwell in heaven. Remember you dwell on Mount Zion. You rejoice, you dwell in heaven. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. We do not inhabit earth. We inhabit Jerusalem. We are citizens in Jerusalem. He's talking about those who are not born again. Inhabitants of the earth. And the sea. For the devil has come down to you. Having great wrath. Knowing that he has such a short time. But when the dragon saw that he had been cast out. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Israel is under constant persecution. You know that. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. That's the picture. He's saying about that three and a half years. You see that picture? He's expounding on what happened in the previous verses. He says a dragon was given, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. It's a protection of God from Psalms 91. He dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Under his wings I shall take refuge. That's the wings. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I desire to gather you as a hen gathers under her wings. You got a picture? So for Israel, the relationship with God is always, I brought you on eagle's wings. 
I covered you with wings. I covered you with wings. So whenever he uses the wings, he's specifically talking about Israel because Israel was Israel for Israel's relationship with his father God is like mother hen, wings, eagle, wings because nobody can touch us. Correct? And that's what he says. See, an eagle uh, was given uh, given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to a place where she is nourished for a time, time and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Because while Israel is on the earth, she will be protected from the Antichrist for three and a half years from the presence that the Antichrist cannot touch Israel with all his weapons. And you're going to see it. And it is all prophesied in Daniel, in uh, in. Um, Zechariah is talking about all that, so that you, you don't have to. But, but you are not that woman. Who are you? He just told the ones who will rejoice. That's a clue. Rejoice, you who dwell in heavens. You dwell in heavens because where are you now? Seated with. Remember where the woman was when she said, I, there are no accusers. Where was she? She was in the temple. And where was she? She was next to Jesus. That means where is she? In the temple. In the Holy of Holies. So is Satan there? No. So is she in the presence of the dragon? No. So where is she? Therefore will she rejoice or not rejoice? Rejoice. So now you say therefore the saints are joyful in their glory. Why? Because the accuser of our brethren has been Everything okay? Somebody was cast down. It was like perfect timing. <laughs> okay, cast down. Okay, therefore rejoice. Look at what it's again. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that she might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So Satan, this is how he now operates against the church. He, he throws floods of judgment. He throws it against you. He cannot accuse you before the father. He just spouts judgments against you. So what does the earth do? The earth helped the woman and, and opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out, out of his mouth. Remember when Abel was killed, the blood went into the earth. What did God say to Cain? His blood is crying out. That means, did the earth receive the blood? Yes. But did the earth cover the blood? No. The earth kept crying out, I have received blood of a righteous man. You need to avenge his blood. You need to avenge his blood. So all the earth is accusing whom? Constantly, he cannot get away from the acquisition. Why? Because he walks where? On the earth. So the inhabitants of the earth are under constant judgment. Yes or no? Because what happened? Because the earth will refuse to cover that accusation. So when you don't receive Jesus, when you don't receive his righteousness, what's happening to you? You are under constant accusation by whom? By the earth. That means everything you touch falls to pieces. 
your investments don't work, your health is breaking down, your relationships are messed up. Why? Because there's this, there is this accusation that is in the earth which is against you constantly and it's always beating on you unless you declare by the words of your mouth, I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. You got it? But here the earth sucks it up, this accusation that is coming against Israel. Because the earth, why does the earth suck up the flood that comes from the dragon? Because it has received the judgment already through the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember when the soldiers pierced Jesus on the side, what flew out? Blood and water. It was the blood and water of the finished work of judgment. And the earth, what did the earth do with that blood? It's like satisfied. I don't have to cry out forever. I drank it up. It was the blood of God. That blood has satisfied the demands of justice by earth. That was necessary for that blood to flow into the earth. Now, the, anything that happens on the earth, any judgment, the earth says, ah, suck it up, because the son of man, he's covering it up. The earth is now covering all judgments that come from Satan. You got the picture? Huge. Now the world is working, not the world, the earth and creation is working against you or for you? For you. So your works of your hand are going to be blessed. Everything that you do will prosper. Because even in the dry land, your field will have the harvest. Even in your work, you will have the promotion. Because the earth is like, bless him, bless him, bless him. There's a Maverick City song, bless me, bless me. <laughs> These kids are singing that song. That's beautiful. Bless me, bless me. Because I'm like, constantly being blessed. Because the earth is like, covering up these judgments that come up from Satan. So Satan is just busy, just spitting out all the time. But nothing can happen, cannot touch you because of your righteousness. And uh, verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, could not do anything about it. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. What is that? He makes war, not with the church, if you look at that passage and you go back and read it, and I'm not going to expand too much on it, but it says he goes after the ones who keep the law, but who have the testimony that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is anybody of the Jews who want to still boast in the works of the law, but have the testimony of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, but they would not get off the law. You got the picture? So Satan goes after them because he has what over them? Power. How he has power? Because they boast in the law. You got the picture? So remember his ten horns? He boasts. So anytime you boast in the law, you become susceptible to his power, of his accusation. So taking care of the law, taking care of the justice demand of the law is what robbed Satan of his position in heaven and therefore, the accusation that would come upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I don't know whether we have the time for to go anything else, but I want you to meditate on that. 
And there are a lot of verses, and we'll talk about that in one of these coming days, that the gates of hell, remember? And I'll close with this. Remember Jesus, the promise that came to Abraham was that your descendants will possess the gates of your enemies. How many of you have heard that? And you're like, what is this gates? Then Jesus also used this word. He said, on the, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of heads will not prevail against them. What are these gates? Because Deuteronomy says, and I will read this. This is huge because it's connected to this Bible study. Gates are the places where judgments are made. Okay, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter, and this is why Lot, Sodom was destroyed and Lot lost everything. Because Lot, when the angels met Lot, where was he? He was at the gate of which city? Sodom. What was he there as, at the gate? As a judge. Remember when they tried to take care of business with his daughter? And he tried to stop them with his works? They said, you are, come here and you are behaving as a judge. Remember he used the word? Because he was operating as a judge in a demonic city. Because he was depending on the works of the law to judge. That was a dangerous place. Because the same demons that you are using to accuse others are going to turn on you. That's a picture of the law. While Abraham was living under the grace, Lot being righteous was living under the law. As a judge at the gates. Powerful story. That's a hidden story on why Lot lost everything, but Abraham didn't. Both were righteous, but one was a judge at the gates. And he, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. Okay, keep reading. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 16, verse 18. Can you uh, read that? Somebody loud? And we'll close quickly. You shall appoint judges and in all your gates, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. Which the Lord your God gives you. Gives you. To your tribes, and, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. That's the place. Gates are the places of judgment. So he says when you shall possess the gates of your enemies means what? The places of judgment against you. You will possess it. They will not have a basis to execute judgment against you. Gates of hell shall not prevail means what? What is happening at the gates of hell? They are accusing and executing judgment against you. He says what? This guy has killed him. Send him into hell. That's where the judgments are happening. He says those judgments will not prevail against you. Why? Because you have just called me. You call me Lord. Correct? Jesus said, he told Peter, he said, you truly are the son of God. He said, because you did that, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Means what? The judgments of hell will not stand against me. Remember the word, uh, the Satan, a place was not found for them and they could not prevail, prevail, gates. That's a picture. 
So gates are very important because that's where judgment is. The heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there be no accusation and there be no accuser in his presence against you. His final question to you and when Jesus rose up from the dead, he asked Mary Magdalene, why are you crying? What an odd question. Because in Jesus' mind, what had just happened? Her accuser has been thrown out. So he's waiting for the woman to say the same answer what this woman in the temple said. What was it? There is no one to accuse you. Therefore, there should be the former things have passed away. And I'll close with this. Can you, somebody read that? Anil, can you read this? Uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Everything is changed. Brothers and sisters, everything is changed. Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 and 4. Can you read that loud, Anil? I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death. No more death. The, the last one is going to walk away. Neither sorrow. No sorrow. Nor crying. No crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. No pain. Former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Is it going to happen or is it already happened? You need to get this. Is it going to happen or is it already happened? Happened. Because the tabernacle of God is with men. Is, is with men. He says, he's saying, see, God dwells in you. What is the tabernacle? The temple. So God is living in you. So what should happen? None of these accusers should be there in your presence. Correct? So the former things. Who are your former things? Your ex. <laughs> There's a song. All my exes have gone to Texas. <laughs> so that's what happened. All your exes have gone to Texas. All your accusers. Sorrow, sighing, death. Pain. That's the first thing he asked Mary Magdalene. He says, why are you crying? Because that's a former thing. Something just happened. I just went to, I just got resurrected. Therefore, you are resurrected. You are seated with me and you are, you are righteous. I am righteous. So the former things have passed away. So what did Mary have that caused her to cry? If you answer this, you got it. What did Mary have that caused her to cry? No. Mary had bad information. What is the bad information? That Jesus had not resurrected. Correct? Therefore she has not resurrected. See how resurrection is so critical to your righteousness? He said, where can I take his body because in her mind Christ has died therefore judgment has been paid but she has not been made righteous because when Jesus was resurrected Jesus was resurrected righteous 
Therefore, if Jesus is not resurrected, Mary Magdalene was not made righteous. Yes or no? Correct. So in her eyes, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Because all the accusations would still remain. But the moment she knew Jesus, but Jesus was resurrected, yes or no? Yes. So the, what did she have that caused her to be sad? She had bad information. And that's what the church has. A lot of church. As believers, we have bad information. We think our righteousness is a process. We think our righteousness is a work in progress. We think our righteousness is something that we need to work at. Wrong information. So what's going to happen with this wrong information? While the deal is done, you would still cry. While the deal is done, you will suffer the sufferings of death. While the deal is done, you will there be pain. While the deal is done, you will suffer loss. Why? Because you have, you have bad information. What is the information that you should have? He is risen. And the terms of the second writing on the floor. Your sins and lawless deeds I remember no more. Do you believe it? Seriously. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to. And if it doesn't, and I'm not accusing you, right? I'm trying to say, meditate on it. Build on it. I'll send you the notes. Anybody wants notes, I'll just email it to you. I have lots of pages of notes on basis and basis on everything, on the backup, on a lot of the verses. But I want you to read it. I read it. I want you to read it. I have to close, but I have to share this beautiful passage. Everybody go to Isaiah 51. We have talked in one of our live teams. And verse 21 hours. Now therefore, now he's talking about post-resurrection. Huge verse. You need to underline Isaiah 51, these passages. These are new commandments that God has given you. He told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And Adam and Eve obeyed or disobeyed? Disobeyed. And did they suffer the consequence of this? He said, do not eat. Do not eat. Do not eat of the law. Do not eat. If you eat, the day that you eat, you will die. So what that word, living, powerful, sharper, and did it cause it happen? Happened, correct? So here's new words for you to live by. Therefore, please hear this. You afflicted. He's talking about the, you, you were afflicted at one point of time. And drunk, but not drunk with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling. That means he's taken it out. Who, who drank that cup? Jesus. I've taken out, out of your hand the cup of trembling. The, the dredges of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. Underline that. If God says something, you shall not eat it. Will you do it? No. no. Here he's saying, do not drink it. So what should you do? Don't drink it. Don't drink it. What is he saying? Drink, don't drink what? Don't drink judgment. Don't drink this cup of wrath of God. Don't drink it. No, I have heard preaching that we need to suffer... Hold on. Listen to me. 
listen to me this is god speaking <laughs> look at the word listen to me is also here keep here therefore verse 21 therefore please hear this please listen to me don't drink it watch my lips don't drink it no but i've heard this speech listen don't drink it no but it is good for my spiritual life no don't drink it no it will make me more like god no don't drink it it will make me more like jesus i can partake in his suffering no don't drink it do you, you get the picture don't drink it don't drink it first of all you don't have it why you do, why don't you have it hey he drank <laughs> he drank it how do you have it when somebody drank it it's like an empty cup what are you what are you sucking on an empty cup for it is a flood of the satan that he is putting on you and saying it's the cup of suffering that will make you wiser and gain patience in this christian walk with you brother don't drink it no but it may, it is in my past it has helped me to mature in life you know what i just told you don't drink it i, I don't care how you spiritualize it how you mix it up god said you shall no longer drink it what happened because i resurrected i made you righteous why are you drinking these judgments you should not drink it do you understand what i just said um, this is god speaking okay <laughs> it's not anal this is this is his words you're drunk not with wine i want you to be drunk with wine in the sense not physical wine means drunk with the wine of joy i want you to be joyful but you're drunk with this cup of trembling and judgment what are you doing i've taken it out of your hand you shall no longer drink it keep reading verse 23 anil look at verse 23 it's very powerful but he is going to put it into somebody's hand this is why satan runs from you the written judgment you will execute i will put it in the hand of those who afflict you who is drinking who is supposed to be drinking the cup satan the transgressor the murderer the liar the one who broke all the commandments the one he's the one who supposed to decree we are executing the written judgment that is the written judgment that's the decree in fact this is so powerful in the book of esther is all about written decrees and haman falls across the couch that mester is which is a picture of the church and that couch is called the banquet of wine which is a picture of the finished work of jesus and and the decree goes from the king's mouth and he falls and his face is covered with a towel it's a picture of satan he's been removed from the presence of esther once for all haman in fact when the king asked king is thinking you know what mordecai did a good thing i sh- i should do something for him and he he cries out you should read this esther is a classic picture of judgment and decrees he cries out and he says who is in the court who shows up haman what is he in the court for he's come to tell the king that you need to kill mordecai he's come there to accuse he's always there he's always out in the court who is there my accuser all the time 
stuff judge nations in the king's name we just execute judgment we don't have to run to execute judgment we just send the decree from sushan signed king but who is writing the decrees esther but the 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 decrees go out on swift chariots that's exactly the word said that means it it is executed immediately when you decree in the spirit which is what we will do after this life thing we going to decree stuff we just sit and just decree in the king's name crazy stuff and god just does it why because you are nestor right now haman is no longer in your presence the banquet of wine has happened because the blood has been spilled in christ's name do you see the picture okay go back to isaiah 51 I will put it in the hand of those who will afflict you who have said to you it's past tense what does satan tell you before who said to you what did he say lie down that we may walk over you and what did you do you obeyed you here is god saying you shall not drink this cup and you drink you disobey him here is satan saying lie down so i'll walk over you Why don't you be consistent in disobeying? Why don't you consistently disobey? Why don't you even disobey what Satan is telling? When he says lie down so we may walk over you, why do you obey? Look at what he says. He who said to you lie down that we may walk over you and you lay down your body like the ground as the street for those who walk over. He said you just obeyed him. You just obeyed Satan. you just obey he says lie down i'll walk over you so why do believers like you and i when he says lie down i want to walk over you you say yeah 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 please but please uh, don't uh, kill don't uh, trample me too much oh you're giving me this sickness that's fine but don't give me cancer okay what is this get up don't drink this cup all the judgments have been put away and he is put it into the hands of those who afflicted you in the past that's the written decree the written decree is that the cup of wrath is in whose hands in satan's hands who has to drink it he has to drink it remember the first judgment came upon man woman or dragon correct that was the 
first judgment, right? Why don't we implement that curse? First, that he will walk. So, so look at the curse that he's Isn't it funny that he, wow, go back, go back and see this. He is telling you what he is supposed to do. How perfect. Who told him to lie down that we may walk over you? Guys, do you agree that the first judgment came to say the serpent? Yes or no? I didn't hear a yes or <laughs> because we are so focused on our curse. Women shall bear children with pain. That's <laughs> the first like curse. Women shall bow to the sweat of our brow. Hold on, let's cross that later. Let's talk about the judgment first. Let's talk about the judgment. Which judgment? Would you? Which judgment? Lie down on your bed. Lie down on your belly. That who will walk over you? Crawl, lie down. So we will walk over you. He said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. Who is the most cursed? Serpent. More than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat what? Dust. All the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. We have enmity against this dragon. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Which is a picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' heel was bruised because he crushed Satan. And his heel was bruised on the cross. But because of that, the cup has been finished. Hallelujah. So that's the curse that he's trying to put on you. He's telling, lie down. You know what? It's good lying down. We can all have a conversation. No, don't lie down. Get up. Stand up. In fact, Isaiah 51 says, stand up, Jerusalem. Jer stand up, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, stand up. You know it's in Isaiah 51. Stand up, Jerusalem. What are you doing lying down? What are you doing lying down? There's no judgments against you. Who's pretending? And that's why in Revelation, every time John fell down, Jesus is saying, John, what are you, what are you doing? I'm the first and the last. That means I've taken the judgment. The end is over. These are new things. Behold, I was dead, I'm alive forevermore. What are you afraid of death? Why are you keeping on lying down to die? Like, death is over. Former things. It's done. Over. Walk with me. Walk in the midst of the lampstands. So that's how it is. Jesus is saying, therefore we have boldness. Say boldness. Boldness. We have boldness. Boldness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want you to go back home and read... Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is a judgment against Satan himself. Remember Lucifer, how you have fallen? This is what he says. Say to the king of Babylon, which is Satan, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, you, he who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. Did you see the word again showing up? Continually torments you. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. <laughs> so who is the persecuted? Satan. And who stops that persecution? Nobody. <laughs> you are thinking the church is persecuted? You're not read. You got bad information. You don't have to put anything because the written judgment has to be executed. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to create new judgments. You just have to execute the written judgment. Written judgment. You don't have to waste your time. You don't have to 
in the name of Jesus. No. Nothing. Just relax. Chill. It's all done. It's all done. Look at, look at what he says. Same chapter. He's talking after that. He's persecuted. No one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees, which is a picture of you, rejoice over you. And the cedars of Lebanon, which is a picture of you, saying, since you were cut down, no woodsmen have come up against us. <laughs> he says, since you were cast down, nobody has come to cut us down. There is not a second version of Satan. Since you were cut down, there is nobody who has showed up. Isn't that good? There's nobody showing up. So what are you afraid of? You got bad information. So therefore we rejoice. And we the high praises of God in our mouth. And a two-edged sword in our hand. We execute the written judgment. And we declare it. We rejoice over it. And that's how you win your battles. This is, there's no prayer involved in this process. Do you see? The praises of God, God considers prayer. Your decrees of the written judgment, God calls it prayer. Elijah decreed that there will be no rain in the land for three and a half years and it didn't rain. Correct? God calls that earnest prayer. There's no mention of God in that prayer. He just said, I decree for three and a half years it shall not rain. James says, James, uh, the earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What is that prayer about? But God calls that prayer because that's how the believers in Zion pray. They decree the written judgment. Hallelujah. We are joyful in their glory. They sing high praises to God because everything is done. Everything is finished. Rejoice in this. I'm seeing here a whole paradigm of judgment, of righteousness needs to be explained. And I will close with this. So Paul is comparing these two glory, the glory of the old covenant and the new covenant. He says, if the, the ministry of death engraved in stones has glory, ministry of death, he calls the law the ministry of death. Ministry of death. It's not the ministry of welfare. It's called the ministry of death. So brother, what are you doing? Uh, this whole week I've been, I've been meditating on the ministry of death. So he says the ministry of death has glory. That means it has some glory. Because there was miracles under the old covenant. Yes or no? Yes, yes, there was miracles. How much more the ministry of life in the spirit? And he says, but that glory of the old covenant was passing away. Therefore, Moses put a veil on his face. Because he was not sure that this glory will last tomorrow. Because it was fading away. So today he looked very perfect in that glory. But tomorrow what happened? It would pass away. And they would, they would say what? Ah, Moses, he was holy yesterday. Today, mm, he must have sinned in the night. You know? So their glory was passing away. But he says, our glory does not pass away. Our glory of this new covenant, this righteousness, never passes away. So we with unveiled faces see the face of Jesus, in whose image we are transformed from glory to glory. You see the picture? We are becoming more righteous every day. We are not becoming less righteous. Under the old covenant, Moses' glory was constantly fading away. 
in the new covenant, our righteousness is constantly increasing. Which righteousness do you want to live under? That's why you rejoice in this glory. Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace, O Lord. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Kura masutono karile lela masutono karasti tini kiristi ni kere masutono karasti kere Master. The Lord says, this is the rest which you may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing. But they would not hear. Israel was given this message of rest, of the finished work of Jesus, of all the judgments being paid. But they would not believe that. They would not hear that. The Lord says, because you hear, I will cause none of the plagues that came on Egypt to ever touch you and your family. I will never, because you are the Holy One of Zion. And no weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. Not against you, not against your children, not against your children's children. Not against anybody that you have a stake in, interest in, you want to speak for, uphold for, intercede for. The Lord says, you have my complete authority. You have my complete power for you to decree, says the Lord, on your bed. On your bed, on your bed, while you're resting, decree, says the Lord. Decree and bind those nobles, bind those kings, and execute on them the written judgment. Thank you, Master. Thank you. The Lord says, these are the end times. But children, have you any food? Why do I call you children? Because you are behaving like pediatric, young infants. Who have not grown up on the word of righteousness. I call you to be, grow up and become sons. And cast your net on the righteous side. On the right side. And you will catch so much fish. That your boat in, will not be enough to hold it in. The Lord says get ready for a great harvest in these end times. Because you have heeded the voice of righteousness. You have delighted in my glory. You have delighted in your glory which has been given to you. And therefore the prey will be great. And the catch will be many. And great increase will I honor you in this land says the father. What about sickness and disease? Cast it out says the Lord. For judgments have no place in your life. For the accuser of the brethren, the serpent of old, has been cast out. And even the last, the death that he seeks to put on you, shall flee from you. Receive my word, says the Lord, of healing. Because the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Where are your accusers? He said, but I always hear those voices. Where are your accusers? But I hear those voices. Where are your accusers? There is none in my presence. And you are in my presence. So believe what I say. And I see. And open your eyes to see. That you are no longer on the dust. But you are seated with me in heavenly places. Your location is not on the dust of the earth. But you are with me, says the Father. Therefore, see yourself righteous. See yourself without an accusation. Say, but what about the voices that come against you? Don't worry about it. The earth will suck it up. Don't fight those battles. Let the earth 
do what I've commanded the earth to do. Drink up every judgment that comes against my children. And they gladly obey. Thank you, Lord. And I will give you great authority to put this cup of trembling into the hand of those who afflict you, says the Father. Into the powers and principalities of darkness. You have the authority to put it. And they will drink it because it is written. Thank you, Master. Away from me, Satan. That's the word you use. Don't fight him. Just say, away from me. For you are a transgressor of the law. And he who is without sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not judge me. For his testimony regarding me is forever righteous. I receive his judgment of righteousness as a free gift. And I walk in it. I receive it. I receive it with humility. Not because of what I did. But because of who you are. And your word is a double-edged sword. Sharper than any double-edged sword. And I thank you for that. This word of rest. And Father, I pray that this word of rest will bear great fruit. Lord, everything that the enemy has stolen from these, my brothers and sisters, will be restored in the next seven days. Lord, restored back in every, the next seven days. I decree it right now. In next seven days, Lord says, restoration is coming. Restoration is coming. For what has been unlaw unlawfully kept back is being returned back to the rightful owners. And that's you. That they shall depart Egypt with great gain. Great gain, says the Father. Great gain. Every loss has been recompensed. Every disease is being healed. Every affliction has been removed. And every torment has been put away. For your sin has been put away. Forever. Father, we thank you for this. Thank you for this word. And let the fruits of this manifest even right now. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Confirm your word, O Lord Jesus, with signs following. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We'll just do what Psalms 149 said. We're just going to decree. You say, but I've got all these prayer requests. But now, now you know how to win this, you know? This is how you decree. You put the high praises of God in your mouth and a two-edged sword, the sword of word of rest in your hand. Okay? And let's just praise. Maybe this one song we'll take. Let's just praise. And as we praise God, uphold all your needs. Uphold all the areas where... Satan and his kingdom was dominant and his judgments appeared real but he says that's fake news that's bad information he has no authority right now in the holy one of God to find an accusation against you no way he's out of that presence there has been a great war in heaven and he has lost he has lost let's just praise God thank you Jesus Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.
Of the Lord. All my life you have been so, so 